I've got a, a quick announcement here before we go ahead and get started. Just wanted to uh, get a chance to congratulate and also embarrass at the exact same time. We've got a, a new addition to the church today. Uh, little Addison is making her first appearance over there with Kelly and Chris Meyer. So if you get a chance, I guess I was about to say during the break, after church, to go over there and love on little Addison Meyer. What a blessing that would be over there with Kelly and Chris. So we're going to be in Luke 9 this morning. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 1 through 17 of Luke 9. 1 through 17 of Luke 9. And let's do the smart thing and have a quick word of prayer. Lord, just as always, let your spirit teach. We just want to listen to what you have to say. We're thankful for the time to be here this morning. We're thankful for what you've done and thankful for what you lift us up in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 9. Now, what we have here this morning is the sending out of 12 disciples. I think this is an important part here because as you see this, as we go through this, this is the reason why we are here. The reason we are here is to go out and spread the kingdom. The reason we're here is to go out and tell people about the Lord. And as Jesus sends out the 12, we actually see a pattern for us, if you will, too, on what we can do when it comes to sharing our faith as well. So let's just jump right into this. Verse 1 of Luke 9 it says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. There's five things when we went through these first six verses. Five things that I saw I just want to bring your attention to. The first one, note what happens in verse 1. God gives them the power and the authority. He's the one that doesn't. There's a saying that's been said many ways in many different ways. He doesn't call the equip. He equips those that are called. And that's exactly what the Lord does here. He sends these guys out. And the only way they can do this is because God gives them the power and the authority to do that. I want to stress that to you. Because what happens here in Christianity, generally we see these two extremes. You see one extreme of where somebody feels they're already equipped. They're great. They're the greatest thing that's ever come to the body of Christ. And God can use them mightily because they're such a wonderful, wonderful person. That person's so high on themselves and so prideful that God can't use them. But then to the other extreme, you see somebody so low, so lowly that says, oh, there's nothing I can offer their body. There's nothing I can do. I can't do anything to help out. And there's nothing I bring to the table. Well, the answer is found somewhere in the middle where you realize I am nothing. But it's God who empowers me. It's God who gives me the authority. It's God who does this. And that's exactly what you see here in verse 1. Remember, 1 Corinthians 1 makes it abundantly clear. God calls us low, based, weak. That's what we are. Romans 3, God comes out and says that there's no one who does good. But it's the Lord that then gives us the power and the might. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the Lord empowers, the Lord guides, the Lord directs, and that's what you see here in verse 1. The next thing you see is look at what they're doing. They're doing four different things. Power and authority over all demons, cure diseases, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. You see a balance there. There's a balance of preaching, and there's also a balance of miraculous. And it's important to have both elements in what we do. There are some churches, some ministries that only focus on one thing or the other. There needs to be a balance. If you only focus on the teaching aspect of it, yeah, that's great. But you're then, as the Bible says, quenching the Spirit. But at the same time, too, if you only focus on the miraculous aspect of it, well, the Bible says, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. So you want to have that balanced approach of teaching and also the spirit at the same time. Allow the spirit to move and work and do amazing things. Now, depending on what your background was, it's easy, easy to do or it's difficult to do. If you came from maybe a very uh, mainline background, it may be difficult when you hear things like allowing the spirit to move and things like that. 
Maybe that's not something you grew up used to. So you hear that type of stuff and you're like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. Part of a healthy active ministry is the teaching and also allowing the spirit to move. I remember years ago there was a guy that started coming out here to church, really got excited, really got active. And he wanted me to meet this other guy, this third-party guy that he knew. And so I said, sure, call, have him call me, whatever, work it out. So this third-party guy contacts me. And he says, I'd like to come out to your church and share some stuff. I said, okay, you know, what do you do? And so he starts talking about the ministry that he does. And I said, I said something like, I, I said, you're kind of a charismatic Pentecostal, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, is that okay? And I said, well, I just want to make sure you know we're not a charismatic Pentecostal church. You know, I'm not trying to say anything. Nay, I said, but I think you're under the impression that we're a charismatic Pentecostal church. I said, I said, we're not. He goes, oh. He goes, well, the guy that goes out to your church said you guys are charismatic. He said you guys are Pentecostal. I said, oh, I don't know why he thought that. So I go back to him. This is the guy that comes out to church. I said, hey, I talked to your friends. And he goes, yeah, how'd that go? I said, well, i got to ask you something. Um, he said that you said we're a charismatic Pentecostal church. He goes, well, yeah, aren't we? I said, no. I said, have you ever been to a charismatic Pentecostal church? He goes, well, yeah, this one. I said, I said, obviously you've never been to a charismatic Pentecostal church. He goes, why? I said, well, why do you think we're charismatic Pentecostal? And this is what he said. He goes, well, we clap during worship. And I said, well, wait a second. He, see, he was raised Catholic. So if you clack during worship, you, you must be Pentecostal. That's the way he was kind of looking at it. And I don't mean that to put anything down, but from his perspective, we are wild and crazy because we clap <laughs> during worship. And it just kind of depends on what your background is sometimes on how you see stuff. And depending on what your background is, you may hear things about the Spirit moving and you may say, that, wait a second, it's not for me. The Lord does move. The Lord still does things. At the same time, maybe you came out of that background and you're like, well, we do a lot of the teaching stuff. What about the other stuff? Well, there's also a balance of focusing on the teaching. Remember those two verses. You don't quench the Spirit, but at the same time, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. So you see this balance here in what they're doing in their ministry. Now, I think this is important to point out this difference. Look at verse 1, that phrase, the cure diseases, and then look at the phrase in verse 2, heal the sick. Now, that sounds very, very similar, but they're actually meaning two different things. That first phrase, cure diseases, that's where we get our English word therapy. It's actually the English word we get for therapy. It's talking about physical, going out and fixing physical problems, therapy. The second phrase there in verse 2, heal the sick, that's actually dealing with, when you look at the original language, spiritual sickness. I find that interesting because part of what we do out here at church is there's the physical, hopefully meeting the needs, helping people, praying for the Lord's touch and healing, obviously. But there's spiritual sickness. There's a lot of spiritually sick people, and they really are. And they need, verse 2, healing. What we do is point them towards Jesus Christ. That's part of what the ministry of the church is, to help those people that are sick spiritually for them to come know the Lord. Note in verses 3, 4, and 5, they're going out in faith. Verse 3, don't take money, don't take extra clothes, don't take anything. Go out in faith and trust in verses 4 and 5 that the Lord will provide for you and what you need. Now, that's really interesting. What's even more interesting, and you don't need to turn there, you can study this out later if you want, in Luke 22, in Luke 22, when Jesus sends them out a second time, he now tells them, take extra clothes, take money, Prepare yourself. I find that fascinating. And when I look at this, there's times where God says, verses 3, 4, and 5, you need to walk completely in faith. Just trust that I'm going to provide. There's times in Luke 22 where he says, you need to be prepared. I don't know what season of life you guys are in here today. Some of you are in Luke 9. You're walking in faith. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happening. You just know the Lord said, go 
And then you need to go. He's telling you, I'll provide for you. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Some of you are in Luke 22. You know a storm's coming. You know there's a difficult season of life approaching because you see it on the calendar. You know it's coming. He's then telling you in Luke 22, be prepared for what's coming. I don't know where you're at. You're either in Luke 9 or Luke 22. You either know it's coming. God says, now's the time to pray. Now's the time to get things in order. Now's the time to seek me, and I'll get you through this storm that you see on the horizon. Or you may be in Luke 9 where God's just saying, trust me. I don't know where you're at, but either way, the Lord is saying, I'm there in the midst of it. I'm getting you through it. Last point about this. Note how it talks about, how we see here in verse 2, they're supposed to preach the kingdom, and then look at verse 6, preaching the gospel. I just want to reiterate this point. This is why we're here. We are here to see people get saved. That is what matters. So when he sends them out, what matters most is knowing and trusting. The reason we're here is to see people get saved. That is our purpose in life. And with that being said, kind of note verse 5. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. When you make a stand for Christ, there's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people that don't like your ministry. There's going to be people that don't like what you're doing. There's going to be people that just don't like you. You have to reach a point where you can shake that off. Remember, go back to verse 54 of Luke 8, which we talked about last week. He talks about how he put them all outside. Sometimes you've got to push those things off to the side and say, I'm focusing on Christ and Christ alone, and I'm not allowing scenarios or situations to control. So those five things, God gave them the power and the authority. There's the balance of the preaching and the miraculous. You see the healing of the physically sick, but the spiritually sick. You see them walking in faith. And you see their sole focus being to see souls get saved. Now, as you take a stand for the Lord, and as you do that, people are going to have questions. Look at verse 7. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard all that was done by him, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I have beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. See, as you go out there and make a stand for the Lord, guess what's going to happen? Verse 7, people are going to get perplexed. One translation says puzzled. People are going to be puzzled by you. We talked about last week how the world is going to think we're a simpleton by what we believe. People are going to be puzzled. They're going to be puzzled by you're the guy that used to every other word have some colorful cuss word in there, and now it's not there. No, you're the gal that used to constantly gossip all the time about this, but now you don't. You're the one that used to do this and that at the party. You're the one that used to have this reputation, and now you don't. They are going to be puzzled by that, and they're going to wonder what's going on. What a wonderful opportunity to say something about the Lord. If you're taking notes, write this verse down. 1 Peter 3.15, 1 Peter 3.15, it talks about how be ready to give a defense of the gospel. Richard used to do this in discipleship. I think he still does. I think he talks about something called a one-minute testimony, where in a span of about a minute, you can, can clearly communicate what you believe and why you believe. So if someone would come up to you and say, are you a Christian? I would hope you would say yes. And if they would ask why, you'd be able to clearly communicate in about a minute what you believe and why you believe it. Too often I see this in Christianity. Are you a Christian? Yeah, why? I don't know. I mean, I guess I just always went to church growing up. I mean, it's something my parents did. It's just something I've always done. I don't know. Wow. You're given an opportunity to really make a clear, declarative statement of what you believe. I encourage you to do that. 1 Peter 3.15. Have a defense of what you believe because people are going to be puzzled. People are going to wonder what's going on in your life, and you have an opportunity then to tell them. Now, I wish in this situation, verses 7 through 9, because Herod and Jesus do get to meet. In Luke 23, they get to meet. You can look that up later. But when they meet, guess what happens? Herod just wants Jesus to do parlor tricks. That's all. 
Hey, walk across the water for me. Change water into wine for me. Do something miraculous. Herod had no intention of really wanting to know Christ. None. See, you may be ready to give a defense of the gospel, and they may have questions. There may not be a legitimate, legitimate interest in the Lord. Only thing you can do for that situation is just pray. Pray their hearts soften. Pray you can plant seeds and go from there. That's all you can do. But be prepared if somebody asks what you believe to be able to help answer that. Now, if you look at these passages, verses 1 through 6, they go out and minister. Verses 7 through 9, you know, people are going to be wondering. Well, then you get to verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told them all that they had done. He took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to a city called Bethsaida. Now, I like this. Verse 10. When you're done ministering, you get a chance to take a break. It says in actually Mark 6, it uses the word rest. Jesus said, come into the wilderness and rest for a while. Boy, I think that's important. I think it's important that you work as if working for the Lord, but I think it's important that you rest as if resting for the Lord. It's important to have that balance. For Jesus said, you guys just got back from a missionary journey, verse 10, come rest. I know people that seven days a week, any hour of the day, they're out there working for the Lord. Amen. But there also is a time and place biblically where God says, take a break. I've got to explain what this take a break means. This take a break does not mean take a break from God. I want to make that clear. Sometimes I run into people and they haven't been at church for a while and you can kind of see them just kind of going off the cliff a little bit. And you get a hold of them and you say, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you. Is everything okay? I've just been busy. Okay, well, I, I know you've been busy. Just kind of make sure you're doing okay. Well, we've been really busy and we just decided we're going to take a break. Okay. And I usually say, well, don't take a break from the Lord. And they're like, we're going to take a break from everything. That's not what verse 10 is talking about. Who did they take a break with? They took a break with Jesus. There may be a season of life where you've really been working hard at this ministry. You've been really working hard at that study. You've been really working hard in that discipleship. And there may be a season in life where God says, you know what? How about just you and me take a break from the ministry aspect for a little bit and you and me just spend some time together. It's not that you take a break from the body or the fellowship or, or even service necessarily, but you spend that time with Christ. I, I remember when I, when I first took over out here at church, I had many pastors tell me, make sure... You get a family day. Set aside one day a week for your family. And I remember even before I had kids, they said, especially when you have children, make sure there's a day that the family can look forward to of that family day being together. And obviously you guys know we try to do that on, on Fridays. And some days, you know, Dawn says, you know, hey, can you take an extra day this month or something like that to do some stuff? And maybe we do that. But it's important to have that time of rest and that time of family together where we just get a chance to spend that time with the Lord. Now, with that being said, do you ignore everything? No, because look at verse 11. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. See, put yourself in the most comfortable position you could ever imagine mentally. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you're in your chair at home, your show's on, you got your bathrobe on, your slippers on, you got your cup of coffee. I don't know what it is. You're completely and utterly relaxed, the most you can ever imagine in life. Boom, someone knocks on your door. Phone rings. Someone needs ministry. What do you do? You tell them to leave? Do you ignore it? Well, see, look what Jesus does. He's spending time in rest with his disciples. He's telling them it's time to rest. But verse 11, all these people show up and gets what he does. He heals them. Now, this isn't just a multitude, verse 11. We know that this is 5,000 men, and that's not including women and children. So this isn't just one random person knocking on your door. This is maybe 10,000 plus people saying, hey, Jesus, can you spare a moment? That's ministry. Ministry is, it doesn't matter if that's my day off or it doesn't matter if that's my family day. If someone shows up, I'm going to talk to them. If someone needs something, they get a hold of me, I'm going to talk to them. That's ministry. Ministry is, you know what? 
I, I didn't really plan on uh, maybe doing hardcore evangelism today at work. In fact, I just want to go home. Someone's asking me questions. I'm going to do it. Ministry is whatever opportunity God lays in front of you. You take that opportunity and you do it. Now, there is a balance. There is verse 11 of work and there's verse 10 of rest. You have to find that balance in what you do. Jesus himself told the disciples in verse 10, go rest for a little. But when given an opportunity of ministry in verse 11, he took it. 2 Timothy 4.2, a good verse that goes with this, 2 Timothy 4.2 just simply says, be prepared in season and out of season. That's what it comes down to. I've had days where I get pumped up and I'm excited. I wake up in the morning and, Lord, what are you going to do today? Bring people into my I really want to make a difference for the kingdom today. And that's the day that nobody needs anything. Then there's days I wake up and you just don't feel good physically, emotionally, maybe spiritually. And those are the days that people say, I really need this. The Lord then reveals that it's not me, it's Him. It's always just being available for whatever the Lord wants. So, Jesus sets this great example for us in verses 10 and 11. The problem is we have verse 12. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. Are we in a deserted place here? Is not verse 12 man's response, human nature? There's 10,000 plus people here. There's time to eat. So what's the answer? Send them away. It's, it's too overwhelming. We don't have the food. We don't have the lodging. We don't have the capabilities. Send them away. That's, that's man's response. When we don't know how to deal with something and we don't know what to do, or to be quite honest, we don't want to deal with it, verse 12, send them away. Now, what's Christ's response? Verse 13, he said to them, you give them something to eat. See, that's the response of the Messiah. You have a need, I want to meet it. So let's give them something to eat. Now, don't you like in verse 13 how Jesus completely sets them up? Give them something to eat. They're coming to Jesus saying, okay, Jesus, this has been a great day of ministry. We got lots of people here. This has been really wonderful, but time to shut the lights off and send everybody home. So go home and eat. I mean, it's their fault, right? They wandered out in the wilderness. Didn't anybody pack a lunch? I mean, anybody think ahead? Anybody plan? Did anybody say, hey, what are we going to eat out there? So it's their fault. And, and I see this response in Christianity a lot. This is your fault. This is your bed. You lie in it. You created this mess. You didn't think once about wandering out into the wilderness with your kids and you didn't bring any food for them, and now you're getting hungry, and you're expecting us to meet your needs? Now, go home. Jesus' response in verse 13 is give them something to eat. Now, there's a great opportunity here for the disciples to really say, Lord, miraculously, what can we do? How can we minister to them? Instead, verse 13, excuses. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. That's always man's response again. Let me tell you why I can't. Let me express to you my limitations. Let me express to you my excuses. When God says go do something, our first response generally is, Lord, this is why I can't. This has been throughout the entire Bible. God calls Moses to go speak to Pharaoh, and what's Moses' response? I can't. I can't speak. Send Aaron. God calls Gideon to go defeat the Midianites. Gideon's response, I can't. Send somebody else. God calls Elijah to have this wonderful ministry to Ahab. Elijah's response, I can't. In fact, Elijah's response is, kill me. I'd rather die than go do this. Do we not do this spiritually? The Lord says, go, and verse 13, oh, Lord, not right now. It's busy. It's busy at work. It's busy with family. It's busy with kids. I don't feel good. It's really not a good time. I'm really going through a rough time. We just have limitations and excuses. That's exactly what we do. And the Lord does not like, boy, I tell you, go read the story in Exodus. I think it's Exodus 3, where Moses is talking to God, and God's calling Moses. And Moses just has excuse after excuse after excuse of why he can't do it, or I should say why he won't do it. God is really patient with Moses until Moses finally comes out and says, I just
just don't want to. God loses his temper at Moses. See, God doesn't like it when we just don't want to do something and we make up excuses. Boy, excuses are, are, are horrible when it comes to the Lord. He says, you give them something to eat. We just come up with an excuse of why we can't. It goes back to our first point. Remember our first point? God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those he calls. The disciples aren't capable of doing this thing, so therefore he gives them the power and the authority to do it. God, if he has led you to do something, he will give you the power and the authority to do it. He will. If he has called you to go share Christ, he will open the doors. If he has called you to make peace with somebody, he will open the doors. If he has called you to move past past hurts and pains, he will give you the strength to do it. That's what the Lord will do. Verse 14. There were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. And I want to stop here for a second because of verses 14 and 15. I'm really not trying to make a joke out of this point, but I know people that love these verses. Because if you look at verses 14 and 15, what do you notice here with Jesus? He's organized. He's very organized. And so he has this idea of make them all sit down in groups of 50. And I've heard people take these verses before and saying, part of a healthy, active ministry in a healthy, active church is that you're organized in what you do. I'm telling you right now, I am not a healthy, active ministry leader when it comes to organizations. I thank the Lord that there's people out here that have the gift of administration that can do that. I look down here and say, make them sit down in groups of 50. If I was in Jesus' response, I would say, everybody just sit down. I don't know, figure out a group. I'd have a group of 5,000, a group of 600, a group of one. That's the way I would do it. There's this organized, make them sit down in groups of 50. And I'm telling you from this perspective, from coming from somebody who is not organized, I read verses like this, and you may say, James, you're really making a big point out of nothing here. I feel convicted when I read this. Because I look at my life, and my life is an unorganized mess sometimes. And it's only by the grace of God that I make it to a hospital visit on time to the right hospital. And I thank the Lord that I see this, and I thought, Lord, you're right. I need to work on that of this idea idea of, Lord, you have given me time, 24 hours in a day. And one of the verses I have up on my fridge at home is redeem the time. Lord, help us to do a better job of realizing the time and energy you give us to be organized in what we do to further the kingdom. So with that being said, verse 15, and they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two of fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. Boy, there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here. Verses 16 and 17, look at this. First off, before the Lord does the miracle of expanding the five loaves and two fishes, look what he does in verse 16. He blessed it and broke them. He was giving praise, honor, and glory even before God did something. We could learn a lot from that. If you have a situation in your life that is overwhelming and you're praying for God to answer, can I encourage you in faith to praise him before he even moves. Lord, I trust that you will move in this situation, and I praise you for what you are going to do, and I don't even know what that is. That's what he does. He praises him before anything ever happens. Number two, note the disciples. Put, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You've been around Jesus. He's walked on water. He's raised dead. He's healed the sick. You just got back from a missionary journey where you could do those things too, and you get back, and there's this crazy thing going on. I mean, think about the most time you've ever been around people before. And I've been to sporting events where there's 40, 50,000 people. Now put yourself in the position of Jesus and the 12. Jesus, I envision it this way, and maybe I'm wrong. I envision Jesus smack dab in the middle, and now there's maybe 10,000 plus people divided into groups of 50 just encircling them. And they're all waiting to be fed. And you're the disciples. And you look at your meager resources of five loaves and two fishes, and you're like, okay, yeah, I know he just raised the girl from the dead last week, but come on, man. He did it. He did it. 
I think it's fascinating. This has been said many times. Look at verse 17. Look at the leftovers. Twelve baskets of leftovers, one for each unbelieving disciple. You guys, you didn't think I can do it. Here, take your own basket home. You want carry out? Take it. You know, I remind you of everything of what I can do. And he did it. He absolutely did it. And, and it's just one of those things where it just kept going and going and going. Once again, what was man's response? Jump back to verse 12. Send them home. Boy, human beings, we can be so mean sometimes. Just go. I know you're hungry. I know you're thirsty. I know you're even, and I'm not even talking physical, even spiritual. I know you want something deeper in life. This is just really not a good time for me. Go home. Send them away. Jesus says, give them something. Look right here in verse 16. He took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, gave them to the disciples, set them before the multitude. Look at verse 17. They ate, all ate and were filled. Some say satisfied. If you spend time with Jesus, you will always walk away filled and satisfied. You will. I guarantee if you make a daily commitment to spend time with him in prayer and in the word, you will walk away filled and satisfied. I'm not saying that heavens are going to open up and angels are going to descend every time you crack the Bible open, but you will get something out of it that will help you spiritually. I'm telling you right now, I had a uh, time earlier this week it was a couple crazy days in a row, just absolutely crazy days. And just didn't feel like I had that time with the Lord the way I wanted to. So there was a day this last week, right before the day even got out of hand, I thought, no, I, I'm going to do this. So I, I sat down before the day even got going, and I, and I read this devotional. And it was a simple little one, two-page devotional. And I tell you, I just felt like I was on cloud nine the rest of the day. There's just something about taking that time to be with the Lord, and Lord, he blessed it. How simple is that? I'm telling you right now, and you've heard me say this before, I start my day off with Christ, be it prayer in the world, the day just goes better. It just really simply does. And I'm not saying there's some divine miracle that happens. The day just flows better when I stop and I spend time with the Lord. And I look here at verse 17, I'm satisfied. I'm filled and I'm filled with Christ. That's exactly what it does. I encourage you, if your life is just rough right now, can you get up in the morning? Read something. And if you don't know what to read, start with Psalm 1. You can't go wrong with Psalm 1. What a blessing that will be. Then you'll get to Psalm 2 tomorrow. If you've got a little rockiness going on at home or in your marriage, just grab your spouse tonight and say, hey, let's read Psalm 1 together. Let's, let's hey, grab the kids. Just do something. It's amazing what the Lord does with that, where you walk away feeling filled and satisfied. There's a blessing that comes out of that. Absolute blessing. Now, one point I want to make here as we get ready to close up. Can you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12? Because when I look here, when I look here at this passage... I, I put myself in the spot of the disciples. My excuses, my limitations. Lord, we can't do this. Why? Well, because we can't. This is just not possible for us to do. Here's the problem. Here's what's going on. It's amazing when I make my list of excuses and I make my list of limitations, God always says I can work through that. I want to share with you a passage out of 2 Corinthians, please. Let's go 2 Corinthians. Let's go with verse 7. It says, Unless I shall be exalted above measure, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Let's stop there for a little bit. Paul has something in his life, and we don't know what it is. There's been many speculations on what it could be, and the truth of the matter is we don't know. He had something in his life that we don't use this word too much, buffeted him. If you look up what that word literally means, it means to beat continually. This is not just he took a hit in the arm. This is a daily pounding again and again and again. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life. Some of you could probably relate to verse 7. You feel like as soon as you get up, there's a daily pounding spiritually on you. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. I don't know. But you feel buffeted every single day. And you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So what do you do? Verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times and it might depart from me. Now don't, don't read verse 9. And some of you are already doing that. Don't. Don't read verse 9. Stop right here at verse 8. Now, if we were writing the Bible, we would stop at verse 8, and then verse 9 would be some type of miraculous thing if the Lord took it away. 
Because that's how God works. I'm buffeted. I'm hurting. I'm going through a difficult time. I'm struggling. So what I do as a Christian is I pray and I give it over to the Lord. And what's the Lord do? He answers my prayers. Everything is perfect and taken care of. And then I go out and I spread the gospel. I write a book and I go on television. And I tell everybody about how great God did. Okay. No one ever writes a book about, I prayed and God didn't answer. No one would buy that book. No one would ever stick around for the program of, hey, let me share with you the story of James, a man who prayed for healing and it didn't happen. We wouldn't want to watch that. So Paul's buffeted. He prays for answer, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's not the verse I wanted to read. I don't want to read about where God says, Paul... My grace is good enough for you. And Paul, by the way, the weaker you are in life, the stronger you'll be in me because you'll rest and rely on me. You don't want to hear that. But this is where we're at. We're the disciples with 10,000 people sitting around us saying, feed me. And we say, sorry, I can't. I'm limited. I'm weak. I'm not able to do this. For God says, wait a second. Did you forget I'm in you? I'm with you. Remember the verse, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The Lord says, I can do this. See, we look at Paul here in 2 Corinthians 12, and we say, I'm weak. I'm beat daily. Physically, I suffer with this. Emotionally, I'm dealing with this. Mentally, I'm dealing with this. Spiritually, I'm struggling with this. Every day, I am just beat daily down by life. So what do you do? You come to the pastor, and what do I say? Let's pray that everything gets better. So we pray. Verse 8, God's response is, no, I want to use this in your life. Verse 9. Wow. Look at Paul's response. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 12 is a refrigerator verse. It's not the verse you want to read every day when you get your milk out, but it should be there. If you are dealing with a tough situation in life right now and you are ready to be done and give up, you need 2 Corinthians 12.10. Look at that one more time. Therefore, I take pleasures and infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That is an absolutely amazing verse. And we don't know what Paul was suffering with. And to be honest, I think that's good. But I think if we knew what Paul was suffering with, there'd be some of us that would say, well, I know what Paul was suffering with, and what I have is a lot worse than him. No, we don't know what he's going through. We know that whatever it is, it bothered him daily, and he pleaded. Look at that word one more time, verse 8. I pleaded with the Lord. Have you ever had a pleading prayer? Not just a Lord, be with me today and help me through this difficult time, but a prayer that almost sounds like begging. A prayer that almost sounds so emotional you can't even understand the words that are being said. I've been in prayers with people before where they are pleading and their heart is just breaking for the Lord to do something. Imagine Paul's response of verses 9 and 10 where God's response is, Paul, my grace is good enough for you. Just rest in my grace. Wow, that's powerful. So I don't know what your limitations are. I don't know what your weaknesses are. I don't know where you're at right now. But I know this, that whatever you're at, the Lord says my grace is good enough to get this. It may not be the answer we want, but it's the honest answer that sometimes we need to hear. And that's what the Lord does. He does get us through. Remember the disciples. It wasn't by their power or authority that they did anything. It goes back to the first verse of Luke 9. God gave them power and the authority. They walked in faith. They walked in faith trusting that the Lord was going to meet their needs. And then when it came to the feeding of the 5,000, when they wanted to come up with excuses and limitations, and he wanted, they wanted to send the problem away, God says, no, we're going to deal with that problem right now. Boy, oh, boy. Learn a lot from that. Glenn, if you can come forward here for the final song. While he's coming up here to get ready, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come.